Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep. Pigs is Pigs by Ellis Parker Butler. This was first published in the American Illustrated Magazine in September 1905. Uh, it's only seven pages long. But uh, apparently in 1905 there was a uh, illegal or, uh, you know, pirate edition of Pigs is Pigs published by a railway company. <laughs> After reading this story, they loved it, I guess, and they made their own version. And then, uh, because it was pirate edition, and there's some sort of lawsuit, and somebody had to go out and burn all those copies, I guess. How soon after its publication did this happen? It, it says 1905, so I I can't tell exactly, but I would assume pretty fast. Um, the story was published in September, so it, it would have been pretty fast. Did you happen to to recall, or do you, the which railroad did this? Uh, well, it's it says Railway Appliances Company, so I, I'm not sure out of Chicago, but it doesn't say uh, um, you know like that doesn't sound like a railway comp like that doesn't sound like Amtrak, right? It sounds like. Maybe they make something associated with it, or maybe it's one of those like, you know, how uh, mechanic shops have tool calendars. It might yeah. be something like that. So if you make stuff for train stations uh, or trains, it might be something well, this, like that. This is fascinating. It's it's obvious to anybody who reads the story that railways are are crucial here, mm -hmm. uh, but I think that it is actually a Another historical um, con contest going on for, in which this particular story is the second salvo. Um, but if you don't mind, I'd like to like to get to that after we've had a chance to talk about the story as a thing all by itself. Sure. Um, just so that people who haven't had a chance to read it yet uh, will know. Uh, the the main character is Mike Flannery, the Westcote, presumably a place in New Jersey. It's not um, the Westcote agent of the Interurban Express Company. And the first sentence says that he leaned over the counter of the express office and shook his fist. So what's going on here is that the agent is uh, at war with a Mr. Morehouse who has come to collect two guinea pigs which were sent to him through this Interurban Express Company to give as a gift to his son. The, the uh, agent, Flannery, wants to charge for this, this distance, Franklin to Westcote, um, two pigs, 30 cents each. He wants to charge 60 cents for the consignment. Morehouse says they're not pigs. They're guinea pigs. They are domestic pets. Look in your rule book. Domestic pets, 25 cents. So Flannery wants 60 cents. Morehouse offers 50 cents. They do not have a meeting of the minds. Flannery goes away. Sorry, Morehouse goes away and writes to the president of the railway company. And then the bureaucratic 
problems escalate as the railroad cannot seem to get to answering this question. It goes from the president to the audit department, to the tariff department, eventually back to the president who wants to find out if a guinea pig is really a pig and writes to a professor, Gordon, who is supposedly an expert on this, but he's off in the Andes Mm -hmm. and it takes months. And while all of this bureaucratic stuff is going on, Flannery is having to keep the guinea pigs alive. And by the time we get to the end of the story, when the railway company says, just send them back to our home office, because by this time, Morehouse has left town with no forwarding address. There are so many pigs, guinea pigs, that they are reproducing faster than they can be shipped away. I mean, it's just absolutely horrible. But eventually he fills a rail, Flannery fills a railway car full of these things day after day. And on the last day, a week long uh, escalation and then de-escalation, he paused long enough to let one of the boys, he's at this point hired six kids to help him care for these guinea pigs. So the, the, the cost in cabbage alone has just skyrocketed to hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Right. He paused long enough to let one of the boys put an empty basket in the place of the one he had just filled. There were only a few guinea pigs left, as he noted their limited number. His natural habit of looking on the bright side returned. Well, anyway, he said cheerfully, tis not as bad as it might be. There them dago pigs. Uh, What if them dago pigs had been elephants? And that's the end of the story. Um, Whenever Flannery speaks, he's supposedly using some sort of Irish um, language, dialect, and so on. Everybody else speaks in perfectly standard English, except, of course, all of the notes that come from the bureaucrats in the company are actually in legalese, Mm -hmm. and it's commented upon. So the the story is very much about language, Mm -hmm. uh, as well as trying to do your job when you are a, uh, a loyal, punctilious employee. Um, does that sound like your reading of the story? I mean, of yeah. the plot? Yeah. If I, if I hadn't have known, uh, he was Irish from his name, I would have guessed his, Af- uh, it was South African accent. Cause I was trying to read it, you know, uh, do you like them? Sh- shouted Flannery, pay for them and take them or don't pay for them and leave them be rules is rules. Miss, Mr. Morehouse. And Mike Flannery's not going in to be called down for breaking on them. <laughs> so part of the fun right. of the story, and it is a comedy story, is just reading, reading, you know, the, I mean, the bad grammar is right in the title, right? Pigs is pigs. And I note that the uh, customer, Mr. Morehouse, he even <laughs> is saying that, right? It's, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, I, I think there's a kind of a brilliant satire of bureaucracy if that's the takeaway i think it's pretty good takeaway i think you're right i think it is in fact a terrific satire of bureaucracy uh there's a disney cartoon version of this um which is in in verse and it adds some other features as well but it it makes that visually clear too but i don't think you need to see it uh Although it was a popular cartoon, um, it's it's clear to me, and I I like having it here. Yeah, it's on uh, YouTube actually right now. 
Um, and I yeah. find I found it. I watched it. Yeah, the verse is fun. Um, it it's basically the same story. I think it even ends with the same line uh, about the elephants. Um, what is nice about our version, um, taken from the original magazine publication, is the uh, the title card at the top has two guinea pigs holding up uh, cornucopias, and out from those cornucopias are pouring many many dozens of guinea pigs right it's it's just it's delightful and there are all kinds of wonderful things here you know professor gordon uh, is in the andes yep. that's why it takes so long for the the inquiry from the president of the interurban express company to reach him um the andes is exactly where guinea pigs first came from mm-hmm. yeah, they're not from um, guinea which is in africa and, right. and they're and they're not Dago pigs at one point he says but right. then he also says paddy pigs right he's uh, presumably Irish so all this all these la- the language of uh, you know immigrants and what uh, you know immigrant insults to each other is used to get over the fact like what makes something a domestic animal and what does domestic mean? There, there's a lot of funny stuff going on here in the actual thinking behind the story. I can see how this story, you know, sort of developed in the in the mind, and I think it's got some real interesting science fiction elements that are expressed later more clearly. But it's basically I was thinking like this is an AI gone wrong story or a gray goo <laughs> problem story. You know about the gay, gray goo problem or the infinite paperclip manufacturing problem? Yes, but I think you should tell it anyway. All right. So um, the worry is... I mean, there, uh, is a, there is a trouble with Tribbles. Yes. Uh, so the trouble with Tribbles definitely um, is inspired by this. And there's another story as well. Um, <clears throat> but the, the gray goo problem essentially is we're worried that if we set up an automated manufacturer that it may consume, you know, in solving problems, which is what people do and notice that the organization in here is not able to solve the problems. It's, it's basically broken. And at the end, our, our hero, I guess he's our hero, Mike Flannery, he resists the company order to stop sending, right? He has to break the cycle. Now, he actually has just shoveled the cycle of problems elsewhere, but at least he solved it for his department, right? Um, in, In a computer system where you've got a program that's supposed to run properly and isn't supervised, you can have errors crop up that break the system. And that's kind of what's happened here. He's got this problem. He thinks pigs... Are pigs? These are and maybe maybe he, at the beginning he just doesn't know the difference. Sort of the ignorance, right? It's got pig in the name, therefore it's a kind of pig. It doesn't matter what where they're from. If they're from Ireland or France or England or the United States, they're pigs. So you have to pay the higher rate. But guinea pigs are close, more closely related to rabbits. They're rodents. Rodents aren't generally thought of as food animals, although guinea pigs are. <laughs> In some cultures, right? And so this yep. whole uh, question of what makes something one thing or another in a classification 
is actually kind of fun and why why I think the story really works even though it's a joke story right it's not just to get to that punchline because the punchline actually shows how ignorant the guy is in the first place right he doesn't understand that elephants won't reproduce at this rate <laughs> it would take a hell of a lot longer for them to fill up well maybe not to fill up his his office but the size of the animal matters in its re reproductive rate right I've got um, a chart. But, you know, this is, it is satire. Um, the crescendo, that is the, the ever more bizarre workings of the bureaucracy on the one hand and the proliferation of the guinea pigs on the other. The, the mutual crescendo of what's going on here, which occasions the increasing exasperation of Mike Flannery and the employment of more and more lads to help him with this, um, all of that is, I think, understandable as a literary device. I mean, it happens in real life that things go from bad to worse or from better to best, but it's a literary device. It is a story. And so when Flannery says, what if the, I'm, I can't even try this because it's not Irish and it's not South, it's, it's a weird spelling for some kind of accent. Um, what if those pigs had been elephants? Um, He's not actually saying I would have had to deal with elephants. What he's saying is, what if all of those thousands and thousands of pigs, what if they were popping out elephants at that rate? And and that's really quite a, an act of imagination on his part, which is one of the reasons that I think he's not simply a matter of fun. I think he's the hero of the story. I think it's a political <laughs> he also, story. He's also caused the problem in the first place, though, right? Well, he caused the you know, it, he does cause the problem because he is bound by capitalist or corporate rules. There is a clear rule that says if there is a doubt about which rate to charge, the agent must choose the higher rate. Mm -hmm. So for that 10 cent difference, five cents per guinea pig from domestic animal to pig for that 10 cent difference, he's not willing to risk his job. And you can understand that there is a there's a, another very famous um, story of this period called A Message to Garcia. I don't know. Um, what's it about? Who's it by? Uh, it's by Albert Hubbard, another widely, widely read uh, essayist and humorist of the period. This came out in 1899. Um, the story is based based I mean, historically it turns out not to be well authenticated but it's based on the notion that during the spanish-american war mckinley needed to get a message to a particular um, mexican excuse me cuban general um and he sends this lieutenant rowan he says here get this message to garcia and as it says in this this pamphlet this this short essay he didn't ask, Rowan didn't ask, where is Garcia or how do I get to Garcia? And the story shows him fulfilling this goal, this order, by showing enormous initiative and enormous bravery. Um, and it, it was sufficiently famous that 
it ultimately got reproduced and given away free um, by many, many corporate uh, entities, uh, the Hilton Hotels for a while, for example, uh, because they were trying to argue that you should not be a lazy employee. You should not just do the minimum that the rules allow you to do. You should take your goal and go for it. Right, this message to Garcia, according to different arguments, um, whether they were just made by publishers or in court cases around it, this thing was reproduced somewhere between 20 million and 250 million times. Wow. And given away free. It was very, very well known, this message to Garcia, as a, a statement showing that really good employees are going to follow the job. There, it's, I find it marvelous that the first time that this was published, it was almost immediately reprinted and given out as a premium to travelers by the New York Central Railway. Huh. Right. So, you know, this and, and you, what you said, that's why I got so interested when you said that the first time an edition of, of Pigs as Pigs was pirated it was by a railway appliance company. Mm -hmm. There is something about the railways, you know, he made the railways run on time. There's something about being mechanically perfect for which in the 19th and early 20th century, the railroad was a perfect symbol. Right. It has to be a certain way. The 218 has to get here at 218. You know, schedules cannot be broken if they're it, that's how railways work. Mm -hmm. There is, though, I think a crucial difference between Flannery and Rowan. Right. By the way, that message to Garcia was 1899, already well known, well known by the time Hubbard, uh, by the time Butler publishes this in 1905. Right. The crucial difference that I see between Rowan, a, a good English name like Morehouse, between Rowan and Flannery is that Flannery has a boss who doesn't trust him. Flannery never gets told, just do what you think is best. Right. Right. He's always told we have to figure out which rule applies. Just don't do anything until we tell you to and then do this that we have told you to. I would like to suggest that Flannery is an answer to Rowan. That where Hubbard is saying, just go out there and be a good employee. We need to understand, Butler is saying, that you can't have a good employee if you don't give him a context within which he can use his common sense. So I, I think there is a bit of a, a subtle criticism here, not simply of bureaucracy for its own sake, but for what that does to the worker within the bureaucratic machine. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's another reason that Flannery is a hero of this story. But, but that one, I think, is perhaps less obvious unless you make the comparison with a message to Garcia. Yeah. But I'm sure I'm sure on the railways in 1905, 1910 and 1920, um, people knew they had these competing pamphlets. So that I, I, I've not read this other story, a message to Garcia. I assume it is not a comedy. It's a straight up 
story. It's a moral parable. Yeah. Right. So this this is this this is satirizing something very specific um, about the actual bureaucracy of 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 systems. And I I think like I was thinking about how all these letters back and forth and you know even even the president he it says the president treated uh, was wanted to treat this matter lightly and then he says they're charge the price for pigs and he says but aren't they closer to rabbits his assistant says and he says you're right they are kind of like rabbits and he says i'll i'll ask the professor and <laughs> all these letters back right. and forth eventually our um our man who wanted to have these these guinea pigs for his son for pets um he's moved away he's not even in the story anymore right the 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 gray goo problem of these guinea pigs um you know expanding exponentially out of their um natural habit of you know making babies when they they're given sufficient food space and cabbage um <laughs> is 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 a comedy of of proportions that people have replicated in other stories but i wanted to give the numbers because uh, the numbers are given and and they're it's fun uh, the timeline I'm not 100% clear on, but this seems to have taken at least a couple of months, right? Um, oh, for sure. Because it was months between the, the, the sending of the the word months in the story, right? Between the sending of the letter mm-hmm. to the professor and getting an answer. And I, 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 I'm not sure what the, you know, how, you know, it, it takes a certain amount of time before a guinea pig can become mature enough to bear its litters. So I'm not sure if these numbers work, but I'd like them to. But I've got the the numbers here. So it starts off with two guinea pigs. Then it goes to eight. Um, Now, presumably, you know, that was like pretty much the next day um, or something like that. Then next time he checks on them, there's 32 of them. Then the letters start flowing back and forth. And he he sends a letter to the company that has only one word, one thing on it it says 160 and then the query comes back 160 what <laughs> it's right and 60 guinea pigs and then 800 and then 4064 and then we get a, a, a just an afternoon where he's running around looking uh to get rid of uh, or pay for some of this just trying to solve it within his own uh his his own neighborhood and after the 4,064, it goes to uh, another 69 had been born, and then 206 more after he runs around a little bit more, and then later in the day, 704. So at the uh, final total, we've got 5,043, if my numbers are ma- are correct, of these guinea pigs. And he's imp- it, it started the employment of two boys, and he was up to six by the end, right? So this... Um, this is a significant problem. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's it's almost, um, you know, it's not f- fantastical in that it's an impossible number, but it it it's approaching that. And so when you get a later uh, adaptation or inspiration, I guess, in that uh, Star Trek episode, the Trouble with Tribbles, um, it is for you know, it, however tribbles reproduce, maybe they're uh, asexual. They just feed them. It doesn't. I don't think that really shows up in the story. But the effect is, um, it's comedy based on nature, right? <laughs> Given sufficient space, 
and a couple of uh, a breeding pair, you pretty much can fill up and destroy a country. I mean, uh, that's the story of Australian rabbits, right? Yep. I had to build a, a fence all the way across the country to try and prevent the rabbits from devastating the landscape. Didn't work. It's <laughs> And so uh, the story doesn't really end with the end, right? Because there's a warehouse that was already full before the final train shipment uh, carload was sent. <laughs> this is, That's true. It's a very funny story. It is. I really do like it. Uh, I'm so glad that you suggested that we, we take a look at it. I, I remember as a child, every now and then when uh, something would happen and it seemed that it shouldn't have, my father would say, pigs is pigs, which just meaning, you know, you, you can't stop nature. As you say, it's a, it's a story of nature. Um, but I think it's also a political story. I think that the contrast between Flannery and Rowan working being trusted or not is important. And I think that the language issue here is very important as well for that very reason. Do we get to use the language the way we just want to use the language or do we have to follow the rules for how the language is used? Right. We've got the rule book and everything is defined. Um, pigs, domestic, you know, pigs, pet and so on. Um, all of the things are defined and when you can't figure out the definition yourself, well, then you go to an authority. At least that's the railroad company's uh, idea. But I noticed that it's the interurban express company. Mm-hmm. Express, of course, means in this case, uh, the, the denotation is you carry things from one place to another. But express also means um, that this is something that's happening really fast. Um, and this is happening Without fast. Stopping, What's yeah. happening? Right. What's happening fast in this in in New Jersey, according to this story, is we're we're getting all kinds of people we had, did not expect. We're, we're getting immigrants. So I for me, I, I just love this paragraph. Mm. I'll, I'll read it in my own English because I can't do this bizarre accent that the, the spelling is trying to prompt us to speak. But but Flannery says. One wagon load more and I'll be quit of them, meaning the guinea pigs, and never will you catch Flannery, referring to himself in the third person, with no more foreign pigs on his hands, which makes it sound as if Flannery himself, clearly an immigrant by his language, um, is against new waves of immigrants coming. But it then says, no, sir, they near was the death of me. Next time, I'll know that pigs of whatever nationality is domestic pets and go at the lowest rate. So what Flannery does to deal with the problem of foreigners is to say, you know what? None of us is foreign. We all live here. Let's treat each other the same. Let's not make it harder for anyone in particular. I think that is a gorgeous, gorgeous conclusion that he comes to after all of this trouble and all of this work and taking the money presumably out of his own pocket to to buy the cabbages to feed these things. He does always look on the bright side. (laughs) And his result is to say, um, I know how I have to deal with this from now on. I'm just not going to argue about nationality. It's a. It's a, a kind of gorgeous answer. 
Um, the interurban express company does a lot better than the message to Garcia going from the United States to Cuba. I will point out there is one other um, science fictional use of this premise, and that is in a Heinlein novel uh, called, I read it under the title, Space Family Stone, but it was published in the U.S. as um, The Rolling Stones. And it's about a family who are on a spaceship, stop on one planet to pick up a couple of pets, and by the time they get to the next planet, their ship is full of flat cats. I think they're Martians or Venusian flat cats. But it turns out that everybody on that other planet wants them, so problem solved, right? Now, if you walk away for a couple hundred years, the entire planet might just be covered in flat cats. But it is a... um, it is a a problem uh, that when when uh, attributing you know who's responsible for ultimately for the trouble with Tribbles, I believe there's a conflicting stories, but it said that David Gerald uh, credited Heinlein and Heinlein credited Alice Park, Parker Butler and Noah. <laughs> Noah. I guess once we get into the point where we can bring in the Bible, um, that shows there is always more to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep.